Crank it up, fuckers. You're listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast, where you send us your most sinister movie dares. We, we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, and people, people, Bev Shield is dying. She's been dying. Her cancer, it comes and goes as the plot demands. With me, as always, film critic Daniel Barnes. Hello, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. On this show, we do your dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine. And then we review and rate them using our unique system. Run-of-the-mill bad film, everyday, ordinary bad film. That's just your ordinary, everyday dare. Double dare goes to a truly atrocious movie, and the reverse dare is for a despised movie that we think is actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we're celebrating the holidays with Crank. No, oh no, the, the it says the cranks. I'm sorry. Okay, I, wow. Okay, well, I'm just going to be high energy for the rest of this episode then. We're reviewing the 2004 comedy Christmas with the Cranks, starring Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis. We're also going to read some movie dares sent in by our listeners, but before all of that, Dan's going to talk about his beer. I'm going to talk about mine. Well, once again, I've got a beer from Fieldwork Brewing Company based in Berkeley. They have a spot here in Sacramento. It was delivered right to my doorstep by one of their fine employees. This is called Glorzo. Glorzo! It's a double IPA. It's hazy. It is brewed with Citra, Mosaic, Enigma, and Strata Hops, 8.3%. Absolutely delicious. Has all those hazy flavors. It's very tropical. The mix of hops is really fantastic. Uh, Another amazing beer and a beautiful uh, design on the beer uh, can as well from Fieldwork. Well, Dan, I'm taking you to church. I got something from Kern River Brewing. This is a West Coast IPA with mosaic, citrus, and Amarillo hops. And it's pretty much everything you want from a West Coast IPA. This is just really smooth and blended with that little bit of citrus coming in the end. Awesome. Love Kern River. That's a great beer. So moving on to listener dares, of course, our fantastic listeners, you send these to us through the Schmied. You send this to them to us on our website, daredanu.com. Sometimes you just, you know, you hit us up on the street. Sometimes you just text us. I'm like, who this? And they're like, yeah, dare. Here's a dare. Sometimes I'm walking down the street and someone like is like, hey, Cork, slap me five. And I slap five. And then when I look <laughs> in my hand, they've slipped me a note. <laughs> That's a dare there. And it just says feds with Rebecca DeMornay and Mary Gross on it. And I'm like. <laughs> What am I to do with this? We're getting new media. We're getting old media. I get telegraphs. Have you gotten telegraphs of dares? I've actually gotten like telegrams and telegraphs. West, uh, uh, Wells Fargo, uh, Western Union. Pony Express just rode right up to my damn house. Here's a dare. Great trade robbery. What a piece of garbage. <laughs> this week's dare comes to us from Nick Paticcio, Nick Paticcio. What do you got for us, Nick? He's got The Beast of War. The Beast of War. It's from 1988. It's directed by Kevin Reynolds, stars George Zunda, Jason Patrick, Stephen Bauer, and Stephen Baldwin. Hell of a cast. Released in the United States, most people here would know it as The Beast, just The Beast. Uh, IMDb synopsis, a Soviet tank and its warring crew become separated from their patrol and lost in an Afghan valley with a group of vengeance-seeking rebels on their tracks. Why did Nick Petitio want us to watch The Beast of War? He says, this doesn't actually fit the criteria, but it's only right that I point you in the direction of a film that I suspect you've never heard of. I have no shame in admitting that I've emailed every single movie podcast across the internet. And I mean every single one. He got to his last, apparently. (laughs) We were literally like, what's left? Oh, okay. 
This film was directed by Kevin Reynolds, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Waterworld, only released in two screens across the whole of the United States in September of 1988. Do yourself a favor and check this film out. It's probably one of the best films to come out of Hollywood that you've never heard of. The Beast slash The Beast of War. Corky, do you know this movie? Have you seen this movie? It's funnily enough, Dan, you know, I haven't been to the movies. I never go to the movies, you know, since... Oh, extreme measures with uh, Hugh Grant and Gene Hackman, 1996. Right. But it was a double feature with this movie, and I left. So you have to see this. Movie. I know. Oh. I went. I went home. Ah, I mean, you see, what a rare double feature. George, it only played on two screens. You see, early. George Zunza. You've got to see it. And I, I only knew Jason Patrick and Stephen Baldwin in it, so I was like, nah. Bummer. Bummer you did not see The Beast of War. Had you ever heard of this movie? I've literally never heard of this movie. Looked on Letterboxd and it has a lot of really like high praise to Ooh. it. It just it, it seems like maybe it's kind of an interesting movie that just fell through the cracks and, and was not found to be marketable in any sort of way and so it was just dumped. I'll be I'll be completely honest. You tell me that we are the last choice of your podcast that you go to. Like the last house on the left? Well come on in. We are podcast cucks. You've had them all. <laughs> we'll take sloppy 70 seconds. We'll take sloppy 72,000 seconds. <laughs> Fucking, oh my God. Um, but yeah, you've tried the rest. Now try us. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nick Petitio. Thank for you, Nick Petitio. And now, our feature presentation. Christmas with the Cranks. This was a dare that came to us from Julio. Julio from the Contrarians podcast, which is another fantastic movie podcast. One of the many thousands that exist aside from us that people go to. Yeah, you probably got to them really early yeah. with about The Beast of War. <laughs> Julio says, for the longest time, whenever we watched a bad movie for our show, I'd bring us home by asking my co-host, was it worse than Christmas with the Cranks? The answer was always no. The IMDb synopsis for Christmas with the Cranks, with their daughter Blair away, Luther and Nora Crank decide to skip Christmas altogether until she decides to come home, causing an uproar when they have to celebrate it at the last minute. Yes, Christmas with the Cranks. Kind of an odd direction for the Crank franchise to go, honestly. <laughs> and Jason Statham, I mean, he's just not giving you the usual comedic uh, chops that he has. But no, this is Christmas with the Cranks. It stars Tim Allen, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Dan Aykroyd. It is based on the 2001 book Skipping Christmas by John Grisham. Script was by Chris Columbus, and it was directed by former Disney studio chief and, of course, the director of Revenge of the Nerds 2, colon, Nerds in Paradise, Joe Roth. The Crank's suburban Illinois neighborhood in the film was built in the parking lot. This is kind of interesting enough. Instead of using a back lot or going to suburban anywhere, Built in the parking lot of a former Boeing aircraft factory in Downey, California. That is literally the one interesting factoid about yeah. this film. Moving on. It was released November 24, 2004, Thanksgiving weekend. So uh, thank you, Hollywood. America's Moral Sewer. Production budget, $60 million. Domestic gross, $73.8 million. Not great. Five on Rotten Tomatoes out of 133 reviews. 22 on Metacritic. Mark Savlov. Of the Austin Chronicle. And remember, Corky, you said last week that you are one of Savlov's dogs. You're drooling right now. <laughs> Mark rings that bell and I come. Ding, ding. Mark no called it, quote, egregiously mediocre and flagrantly ill-conceived in every department. Corky, Christmas with the Cranks. 
I'm not going to try anything clever here because the movie sure didn't. Ho ho, no, or ho ho, yo. Let me just give one out for Mark Savlov with great adverb use, egregiously mediocre and flagrantly ill-conceived. As a fan of adverbs, kudos. Corky is just dribbling all over himself. You're you're wearing a bib, thank God. <laughs> uh, this was uh, I was Santa Slade by this movie. Yeah. Uh, this movie Holy. was like we talked about with Lucky God. Numbers. The most egregious, the most flagrant or egregiously mediocre, flagrantly ill-conceived movies are not the bad low budget, not the yeah. horror movies or the serious movies that are just so bad they're laughable. The worst is this banal pseudo comedy. It's the worst. Banal pseudo comedy is the perfect summation. It felt to me watching this movie as though, like a half hour before I started the film, the movie had popped a Xanax. <laughs> like it has that feel. Everything here feels so numb. It feels so dead eyed and it feels so sadly content with its awfulness. And I listed off the main creative talent at the start. You got Tim Allen, John Grisham, Chris Columbus, and Joe Roth. Here are four men, four white middle-aged men, I should say, who sure. have risen to the top of their chosen professions. All the way to the top. They have made obscene amounts of money, despite being terrible at everything they do. They don't even have mere confidence. So to these four men who have clearly led the most charmed, privileged lives you could possibly imagine produce a holiday film with hope with cheer happiness love any kind of anything resembling heart or soul absolutely fucking not it is a sour misanthropic materialist fucking fascist nightmare of a movie this movie should be called white people's christmas problems <laughs> like the things that our hero luther crank is quote unquote beset with throughout this movie yeah are not actual problems they're not real problems and yet like his his anti-christmas attitude is so unnecessarily hostile yeah. And the response is so unnecessarily even more hostile. Yeah. yeah it just, yeah. it doesn't, there's nothing to even like recognize in there. And then, of course, you got Tim Allen right at the center. He's giving you absolutely nothing. Well, I don't think he's capable of it. Uh, to me, the most offensive thing, I think you, you raised a lot of valid points, how materialistic, avaricious it is. The, to me, the most offensive thing is they tried to wring hijinks, wackiness out of every conceivable object in the movie there's a place there's a legit 15 minutes where honey baked ham becomes a centerpiece of comedic travails of just slapstick pseudo comedy bits and it's like bad guys win in this movie absolutely a stepford christmas join (laughs) us become one of us yeah the bad guys win there's no good guys the bad guys can only win there's no good guys and the message, if there is one, I mean, like we're we're kind of used to now having bar- being barraged with all of these holiday movies around the Christmas, and they're all kind of shallow and materialist for the most part. Sure. And, and of course, they have this sort of like tacked on message about caring for others and the true meaning of Christmas and stuff like that. If there's a message to this, it's just to spend as much money as you can during the holiday season, or else you hate Christmas. Yes. There's no. There's just not a middle ground there. There's no fucking middle ground. Christmas means materialism. Christmas means things. Christmas means spending. It means spending $6,100 at least or else you fucking suck. (laughs) That's the fucking message of this movie. How fucked up is that? And they try to couch it like we're doing this for our daughter. 
Uh, no, you're doing it for yourself. You're spending all this money because you want to show you're as good as the neighbors for your daughter, for yourself. Oh, and the daughter. I mean, I don't <laughs> even know what to make of the daughter. Okay. She's, just, let's she's get a nothing. Into it. Yeah, let's go. Christmas with the cranks. So, I mean, you want to talk about it being on Xanax. First shot of the film is just like a slow pan over like a bedside table with pictures on it. Pictures of parents and children. And then finally landing on a bed where we have our quote-unquote heroes, Luther and Nora Crank. They are married. They are middle-aged. They are empty nesters. And they are just sitting there moping in bed, fully clothed. (laughs) (laughs) This is a fucking antidepressant commercial right here. It's like, they might as well be sitting in separate bathtubs holding hands like fucking a... Even even the opening song of uh, the credits, and you're, you're going to get wall-to-wall Christmas music, but even yeah. the opening song is the opposite of Baby, It's Cold Outside, because this song is all about wanting to walk someone home. Like Even the soundtrack to the, the movie is like, let's get out of here. Let's, let's really? go elsewhere. I want you out of here. Anything. So they just get out of their moping in bed, and they go to take their daughter, Blair, their college-age daughter, but she's not going off to college. She's late they- college age. She's 23. Late college. She's in her... T- okay, so she's maybe graduated. Yeah. Or she's doing a but semester about But this girl it. looks despondent to be leaving her parents. <laughs> really? Yeah. So it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. They're taking her to the airport, and she's going to spend a year in Peru with the Peace Corps. And there's a big tearful goodbye. She's, she's gone for a year. She's not going to come home for Christmas. Yeah. Apparently, that's a big deal. It's really not made that clear early on that, like, Christmas is like a super big deal. It's it's just which is so funny when everybody gets like super fascistic about it. That all, like it's like wow. She's twenty three. This woman has spent a week away from her parents, staying with friends or a boyfriend at that age. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's like she's leaving home for the first time. Yes, it reminded me of Better Off Dead. That one kid whose parents have to force him to go to the dance. He's like, no, I want to hang out with you guys. So they're on their way home, and they're already kind of bemoaning the prospect of Christmas without Blair, their daughter. Uh, They stop by the store on the way home, and uh, Nora, who is, again, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Luther, who is Tim Allen. Nora sends Luther into the store because she needs white chocolate. Need white chocolate. Sitcom hijinks are coming at you already. This is on the rainiest back lot in history. All right. So white people, yeah, it's raining. You want to talk white people's problems? He gets wet. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's not raining on every other human in the fucking, like, vicinity (laughs) where it's fucking raining. But he gets wet. Ah! And then he comes back. No white chocolate. What? Not the the specific white chocolate she was asking for? No, didn't have the white chocolate. So she sends him back in and he gets even more wet. This is, like, the worst thing that has ever happened to this person. Like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to him. And it just drives him into an apoplectic fit. Starts screaming at a man who is in the rain, dressed as Santa Claus, selling umbrellas. So obviously a very wealthy man. (laughs) No, you're basically screaming at a homeless man. This is the hero of our movie. (laughs) But he's wet, and but he sees a poster and he starts dreaming about a vacation in paradise. Like what a worm. So they're they're in Chicago. I don't know if we mentioned that. Um, he goes into work in the city. They live in the suburbs, so he goes into work in the city where he is clearly a successful oh, whatever. Yeah, exactly. He has a secretary. 
And he has, he has an a office. secretary and an office, and he seems like a big wheel. And she's she can stay be a stay at home mom, so he's obviously making good money to set them up in the Chicago. Even suburbs. though they're children, I mean, yeah, God, Nora Crank, what is your fucking life? What is your life? Like the few times we see her outside of the house, one time she's having like lunch with her friends, one time she's at a soup kitchen, and then one time she's reading to children at the hospital. Like, she's having lunch like- with Felicity Huffman. I mean, if I mean in twenty twenty, you want to talk about. Entitled white women. No shit, right? <laughs> uh, oh, but anyway, he goes on to work and he starts calculating the co- what. What he's basically doing, he's calculating what are the costs of Christmas versus the cost of taking a cruise back home. He tells Nora, "I got a surprise for you." Nora instantly thinks, "All right, I'm getting some D tonight. Right, I'm getting plat like here's the plow king, <laughs> and he is gonna plow. She's ready for the me. Yule log. She's like, all right, better take my vest off because my God, like this is gonna get nasty. N- Nora Crank is ready to fuck for seventy five percent of this movie. <laughs> I mean, that's why she married a man with the last name Crank. It was between him and Mr. Hog. Sort of, sort of false bill of goods there because <laughs> Luther is not DTF. Like no. he's not. You know what I mean? Like he's got other stuff on his mind. She's DTF, but he drops like a balance sheet. He surprises her with like reggae music and the spreadsheet. Toots and the Maytals, R.I.P. Toots. Um, amazing. Yeah, what a song. <laughs> <laughs> he tells. <laughs> Sorry. Luther tells Nora his idea of skipping Christmas again. That's the title of the John Grisham book, and taking a tropical cruise instead. But she's like, what? No, can't do that. But he actually tells her, we would save money taking a cruise instead because the cruise is going to be a few thousand. And last year we went, we spent $6,100 on Christmas, converting from $2,004, by the way. That's $8,500. Converting from 2001 when the book was written, that's $9,000. We're not dealing with normal fucking no. people. They act like this is just a normal, like, they vastly underestimate with how they show the neighborhood of the cranks how massively wealthy yes, they are, yes, and how massively wealthy the creative talent of this movie is, right? Yes. You know, like John Grisham probably lives in some sort of a gated fucking community where everyone is up your asshole about Christmas all the time, getting your decorations right and putting things that you know what I mean, because like there's a fucking HOA. They're not fucking normal people. No. Normal people. Like, I, hey, if you have $9,000 to spend on Christmas and you do, God bless you. Hats off to you. I don't have a problem with that, but that's not a normal fucking thing. And to say that, like, if you don't spend $9,000, you're a piece of shit is like, this is the premise of the movie. The, We've established this. Anyway. These are the people that live next to Kirk Cameron in Saving Christmas. <laughs> this is them. Yes. And despite the fact that they can spend nearly five figures on the holidays luther pitches a total boycott of christmas a total boycott and it's just like this is the thing is like why like it it like it's not a money thing you know what i mean he pitches it as a money thing but it starts as a money thing in a better movie or maybe in the book it comes out that it becomes less about the money and it's just about not being told what to do or he's just kind of anti the thing that never really gets fully fleshed out here yeah, and the weird thing, it's like he's not cranky enough. You know what I mean? Like he he's just basically pitching like a a sort of nonviolent resistance of Christmas. You know what I mean? Like because at first he's not like hostile towards anyone. He's just like basically he's he's uh over fucking doing it. I don't know, man. <laughs> first, I was with I was with it. I'm like, okay, fine. They're gonna take a year off Christmas. I something I've pitched many times. I'm like, let's take a year off. Who gives a fuck? Great but idea. Even, 
the the day he hands out the letter because we the next scene he's he's doing that thing where he's typing a letter and narrating the words as he's like we all do like that's what we all do your audience but you watch him hand it out to all his coworkers he's being a prick about handing it out to people right like just don't even bother with it like no one would even fucking notice or care but yeah he distributes this anti Christmas rhetoric to his entire company in hard in hard copy form. For the reason of he's a dick, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, Nora goes out with her friends. She meets the greeting card guy on the street. Everyone just instantly assumes they're just like, they they see dollar signs whenever the cranks come by, right? Yeah. Like they're just like, oh, you're just going to buy the thing that you always buy. Okay, great. Um, and she's kind of like, nope, not going to need him this year. And this guy like follows her into the restaurant. Then starts sitting at the across tables. the street. And like as she's talking to friends, you look back and the whole neighborhood's like look glaring at her. And so is the gu- the Christmas card guy. Like <laughs> <laughs> he just sat down at someone's table. They're and just like, sh- like sharpening knives at other tables. The crazy thing about this movie is that this suburb that they live in. So it's a suburb of Chicago, right? So it's not, this is not in the middle of fucking nowhere, right? Like this is not like West Virginia and the Ozarks, okay? Yeah, but, like, yeah. holy shit. Like, this is the most cloistered town. Like, Bedford Falls wasn't this small and cloistered. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the everybody, cops know people's names in this town. <laughs> everyone knows everyone. There is, like, the one store they all go to. There's the one. I mean, because they just built one set for the whole. <laughs> name one cop who knows your name. Name right. one cop who knows your name. That's, yeah. You don't want cops to know your name. If cops <laughs> no. know your name, that's almost certainly a bad thing. Especially when they're Cheech Marin and Jake Busey. <laughs> but yeah, the dialogue, the pacing, absolute death. From action to cut, you got a uh, so it's so bad, and nothing you just get. You're gonna get. Nothing. I like Jamie Lee Curtis, but she's so bad. In this she movie. she is giving you what she can. Unlike Tim Allen, who has given you absolutely, he's giving you less than what he can, and he can yeah. not give you very much. Right? Yeah. Like he he's giving you absolutely nothing. Um, back at home, the Cub Scout troop, the local Cub Scout troop, again, it's just just like dollar signs, right? Like yep. people come across Luther Crank, and they're like, "Kaching." They have the tree for him. He didn't order a tree. He didn't right. ask for a tree. And it's he didn't 90 bucks. A tree. And they're just like, here's bucks. your $90 fucking tree. Like, what the? What? What? <laughs> How the fuck do you? <laughs> like, where do you get the balls, you Cub Scout piece of shit? Uh, but yeah, then he says, like, no, I don't want a tree. And of course, they're all just like, oh my God. And they all just go and tell the neighbors and stuff. It's just <laughs> trying to earn the uh, grifting badge. Just delivering a tree, ninety bucks, yeah, right. pal. Uh, oh, uh, your uh, your uh, dead uncle ordered this tree. Oh, uh, what? Well, <laughs> he engraved your name in it and everything here. Uh, we also need Dan Aykroyd, who is Frohmeyer, who is kind of like the neighborhood tyrant. Yeah, I, you know, I read the plot synopsis for the John Grisham book. It was like almost like straight on. They did say that in the book, there's a whole thing about how there's a neighborhood contest. Okay. To like be the best block in the neighborhood. And it's like some kind of pri- coveted civic pride sort of a thing. Well, that they would give e- some kind of stakes. <laughs> that would give it right anything at all. No, people are just like fascist about this thing. They're like, put up your, put up your frosty, do it right fucking now. In the summary for the John Grisham book, did, did it tell you like there's a, southern lawyer who gets framed for a yeah, right. crime that comes out because i was i was waiting for that 
<laughs> I just couldn't. Yeah. How much is it to just they? They already have a wreath on the door. This is thing. The cranks yeah. already have a fucking wreath, so they're not really boycotting Christmas. No, she's wearing her sweaters and all this kind of stuff. But for some reason, they just keep drawing these arbitrary lines in the sand. It's like, why not have a Christmas tree? You know what I'm saying? Like my parents. I'm, you know, they're very lucky. They've they've done well. They're very privileged as well. They've taken cruises. They took a cruise that left where the flight left the day after Christmas. They didn't cancel Christmas. Yeah, right. Do you exactly. know why? Because there was no need to. <laughs> that was not a necessary thing. That was not a choice that they felt they had to make. And no one does. That's the thing. That's the problems are not real things, but everyone is so pissed off about it. So pissed off. This snowman thing becomes like a, a really upsetting like thing that divides the neighborhood or turns them all against the cranks. Um, you're just like, who the fuck are these people? But they all come outside of the house while Nora is there alone. And Luther's at work, and she this is part, like hiding. Yes, she's hiding <laughs> under was, covers. A grown she woman, is so terrified. Like it's Michael Myers outside, but it's just Dan. Ac- I mean, I guess that is pretty terrifying. <laughs> but it's just them being like, "We want this. We want the frosty. We'll put the frosty up for you. It's not a big. It's like they even offer to put it up for them, right? For some reason, Luther starts screaming at Nora and tells her to meet him at O'Leary's. Which turns out to be an Irish pub, of course. It's Chicago, get it? Sure. There's a, I'm going to use heavy air quotes on joke about how they served fish tacos in an Irish pub. Yeah, oh my God. I don't know what that, what is that? I think Tim Allen tried to work some stand-up material in a few times. He's doing his caveman thing a little later with the potpourri shit, but. I'm sure his audience eats up anything perceived as anti Mexican. (laughs) I'm sure sure that really plays, but I'm like, what even is the fucking joke? You know who, you know who, we talk about all these privileged people, but you know who is dealing with some real world shit? (laughs) Bev Scheel. Their neighbor Bev, because her cancer is just fucking raging. Or is it? (laughs) She has good days, she has not good days. This woman looks fine, but everybody's like, oh, her cancer's returned. Her husband just hates Luther. He can't, he can't be bothered with his wife's cancer. Yeah, right? He's too focused on hating Luther and this whole Christmas controversy. Oh, my God. Yeah, the way that it this movie is just so fucking shallow and stupid and then trying to, like, work in just like, hey, oh, cancer. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's like the room, right? Like, it's just like, my, my cancer. Yeah. <laughs> it's so unearned. The other thing about this frosty day, I'm sitting there, I'm watching, and I'm like, is it a weekday? Because Luther's at work. There's children running around decorating Frosties. There's grown people all. I mean, the whole neighborhood is packed decorating for Christmas. They've just pulled all the children out of school. Is everybody so wealthy? That's so fucking insane. (laughs) Oh, yes. Um, So they leave the Irish pub. They go to a tanning salon. Uh, okay. And Nora gets in the tanning uh, bed and she hits her head. Uh, see, this again, is, this where is I, like these are their problems. These are the this is where problems. I was like, everything's a hijink. Every single yeah, thing is just everything. set up for hijink. So she's like, oh, I bumped my head, and she goes out, and she's in her bikini. She looks fantastic, by the way. Jamie Lee uh, Curtis is amazing. Give me a break. And they run into who? Tom Poston in his last movie role as the and priest. Squiggy. And Squiggy's Squiggy. in there for a second. Squiggy pops in and is like, oh, I'm Squiggy. Did everybody just get owed favors or something? But anyway, guess who starts hectoring about her plans to skip Christmas? Her priest in the middle of a fucking ball. 
And everyone's staring because she's doing this whole thing. And going to a tanning salon and not decorating the house for Christmas lands them on the front page of the local <laughs> newspaper. Like I said, like, Bedford Falls was supposed to be like a tiny town where there was like one fucking taxi and one cop and all. It's like, this place is even smaller. Even yeah. smaller. The picture on the cover of the newspaper is from that scene at the tanning salon. The paparazzi was staked out at that tanning salon following this couple around because they didn't put up a frosty. Is that what it was? How did they get that shot? <laughs> so Nora is goes to a soup kitchen because, again, what? <laughs> because they're skipping Christmas. That's why she's donating her time at a food bank. But this is where at the food bank she learns that Beth Shields cancer yes. is back so hard. That three of them need to take a break to cry together and stop feeding people in need. Yeah. It is like hijinks, 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 breast cancer at the soup kitchen. Hijinks, hijinks, hijinks. What the fuck? (laughs) So now we meet the two cops uh, in Illinois, uh, Jake Busey and Cheech Marin. And I mean, they're selling count. Right, well, they're going to do the job, guys. It's this like- is chemistry on the level of Antoine Lavoisier. This is <laughs> fucking palpable. You put Jake Busey and Cheech Ooh. Marin together in a scene, dynamite. Fireworks, yeah. Uh, they are selling calendars to raise funds. And, but, of course, Luther taking the hard line against Christmas for no reason. Again, not a money thing, not an anti-Christian thing. or an, I, mean, I never know. They, do they need to learn the true meaning? Nope. Whatever. Nope. He just says, no, I don't want your calendars. A calendar, a thing that is useful, whether you're celebrating Christmas or not, because it's for next year. <laughs> like, what? Like, does he not need to know dates? No, he's just like a cab and slams the door in their face, man. He's like, fuck 12. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> you know who was happy to get that calendar, though? There's a shot of Bev Sheel, and she is just ogling. Like, she's going to go rub one out to Mr. December. <laughs> oh, that was her make-a-wish from the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He says no to the cops of their calendar. They immediately go to the neighbors and are like, you believe these fucking assholes? They yeah. will buy a calendar? Like, what a fascist police state. They are, <laughs> like... <laughs> They are one step from setting him up for a, f- a fucking crime. <laughs> they arrest him the next day. <laughs> so, but uh, a group of carolers drives by right as they're like shitting okay. all over the cranks. And the carolers are like, uh, what about this house? I guess nobody here, like, <laughs> they, they hear that they, they're like, there's no decorations. They're like, oh, they're Muslim? Like, yeah, right. Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim. Heavily racist, <laughs> anti-Semitic. That's great. Um, but they're they're told flat out. They are flat out told. No, they're just not celebrating this year. And which means like, they need more cheer. <laughs> yes, they're like, like what? Why don't what? we go see? What if they were? What if like they were? What mourning if they really were died? Muslim? <laughs> <laughs> and he just didn't know. And it's this is what I'm talking about with Stepford. Oh, okay. They don't celebrate. Well, that's just wrong. How about we just go carol to them anyway, and then yeah, right. we're going to menacingly carol to them. Menacingly carol. We're, we're going to trespass carol. <laughs> like, yeah, the carolers come to their house and just sing and sing really loud and loud and loud. Drives the cranks finally into their basement. 
the carolers and then the the neighbors join in neighbors as well. Join in. There's a point where they are singing like "Joy to the World" and they are they sing it probably for like hours, faster and faster, faster and faster, louder and louder. And you're like, all right, they're trying to fuck with the cranks. How is this not torture for everyone? How Dude. is it not torture for the singers who are like? I can't breathe. I want some water. It's freezing out here. We've been singing Joy to the World for 45 minutes. It keeps yeah. going faster. Please make it stop. They don't have a fucking dog in this hunt. They're not trying to win it. I mean, well, the neighborhood. This is like the ATF outside of Waco. Just turning up the sound on <laughs> rabbits being slaughtered. It's just to fucking torture them on the inside. Oh, my God. Nora... Like the next day passes by someone just randomly on the street who says Merry Christmas and she won't even say Merry Christmas. This is what does this that is cost? like they pretty much they've been radicalized. Like yes. they, I, think, I think they <laughs> I think they've embraced Islam. And this is where Christopher Columbus is like, you know what worked in home alone? Oh yeah. More hijinks. Hijinks, so baby. Let's water down this the walkway Super out front. Super broad slapstick. Don't don't be subtle about it at fucking all. So yeah, the Carolus come Luther waters down the thing, basically turns it into an ice skating rink. But uh oh, Nora comes out, she slips, she flies in some ridiculous sort of way, and then the neighbor's cat who Luther keeps kicking. Oh my god, I forgot about the cat. With like these CGI eyes that are yeah. just oh, it's just Th- that was like Norbit when he ran over the dog. <laughs> but then they later they talk about the dog, so it's like, well, they didn't really kill the dog. You see the <laughs> CGI blink, so it's like they didn't really kill the cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine. Don't worry. Um, so they go. <laughs> Here's my favorite scene. This movie is so fucking sloppy. I had to like, I had to get my wife to explain what the fuck was going on here because. Nora is reading to this sick children scene. in the hospital. Oh, okay. And oh, these sick children are hanging on every fucking word. It's like, it's like overdoing it, kids. And it's like, it's movie sick children. So oh, yeah. none of them actually look in any way like they should be in a they hospital. They don't look sick. They're, They're all angelic. beating. There's, they have like, one has robes. a cast. They just have robes. One has a cast on. I've gotten, I've broken several bones. I've never had to stay over <laughs> to have a, a broken wrist. Broken wrist, but we we got to need him to stay in. I, they like, put me what? in the child cancer ward to listen to a woman read to them. <laughs> like, uh But right into the background wanders Luther. Yeah. And Does she seems work? shocked to see him. I don't, right? <laughs> you're, you're, were you fired for that whole incident at work where you're like, <laughs> Now Christmas, but I still like her for the Christmas Jerry Maguire move, where he just, <laughs> just like, who's coming with me? <laughs> but I could, at first I couldn't figure out like, wait, what? Like, yeah, because she was shocked to see him at first. I was like, well, they must have come together, but I'm like, wait, they came separately, but they just happened to be at the same hot. Because again, there's one hospital in yeah. the Chicago metropolitan area. The only thing I could say is like, because she's given up all things Christmas, she must do this all the time. She must right. read to perfectly okay kids she all the time. She wouldn't say Merry Christmas <laughs> in the previous scene, but she says, anyway, why is Luther at the hospital? Luther's at the hospital because he got Botox. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, you would hear some labored slapstick, which is just that Tim Allen has Botox. Really, what if we're being honest, Tim Allen in this scene is made up to look like he has more Botox than he actually has throughout the entire rest of the fucking movie. He looks his, weird. His face is fucking weird, man. There's yeah, some close-ups. Like, on, 
during that accounting scene, there's some close-ups where his face is not moving. Little too on the nose and the cheeks and the chin and forehead. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, this leads to a whole slapstick scene where because he has Botox, he can't chew or swallow. So food food just falls out of his mouth. Water falls out of his mouth. It's not funny. And it's and it leads to a scene like like we said the tone is all over the place. It leads to a scene that's supposed to be tender with them in the bedroom making out, trying to get to making out where they keep getting crank called by people saying "free frosty, free frosty," right? Because they're supposed to bring out the frosty. Yeah, and I'm like, kids, they're about to free frosty all over this bedroom. Because yeah, right. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis is damn tough. She's ready to go, but they get you know rule of threes. The third call, shout at him. But wait a minute, it's not Free Frosty, it's Blair. It's Blair, their daughter. She is called on the eve of their vacation. They've, I guess, not mentioned this to their daughter at that no, point. It's, yeah, they're trying to hide it from her. But they didn't actually say that they were trying to hide it from yeah, her. They, they forgot about their daughter. For this <laughs> point, they forgot about her for a month. She's twenty. <laughs> she's 23. I have a 21-year-old. We go a week to weeks without talking. Blair calls, so they're all ready to go. Like, they're already, like, we're, we're leaving, like, tomorrow or, or next, in two days or something like that. Blair calls and announces, I'm coming home, and I'm bringing my Peruvian fiancé, Enrique. Peace Corps gave me a day off. <laughs> <laughs> Peace Corps gave her Christmas off, like, what? The, the starving people we were helping, they don't need help this they're week. like, no, take it off, you're good. <laughs> They're good. Make it a long weekend. What if she got fired from the Peace Corps? She's, not, she's too privileged. She's no good. Clearly a drug mule. Um, so right away, the cranks start panicking and decide. I mean, here's the another like massive overreaction that is just so bizarre. They just decide. Well, Nora decides, yes, we're going to come home. Yes, we're having our party. Yes, yeah. we're doing all this stuff. Yes, we, we have everything ready to go. Frosty's on the roof. And all this kind of stuff, and we're going to do it, and we're going to cancel our trip for Blair. They can't tell Blair, who, again, was out of the continent for (laughs) a year. She was in a different hemisphere. (laughs) Completely different hemisphere. Remember this. For a year. Supposedly with, like, no contact whatsoever. They can't tell her they made other plans. I know that she's coming home, but, like... Okay, cancel your plans because, like, your daughter's coming home with her fiance, and this is a once in a lifetime. I mean, I'll just get a vacation for all of you to go to, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. you're rich. I, um, but they can't tell her this. They can't tell her. And I don't know why. I, <laughs> I, there's, I can't. There's no third why. act. That's there's why, because no there's reason. no third act without that. Yeah, I, but like I just cannot this... stress enough. She's twenty three. The the vast difference between twenty three and eighteen. Yeah. with this kind of stuff, the, You'd be it, so... this is not the first Christmas they've spent without her. I don't give a shit. Twenty three. This is not the first Christmas they've spent without her. She's been drunk at a friend's house, waking up <laughs> Christmas morning. <laughs> and again, she was out of the country for a year. I yeah. just don't know why you can be like, oh, you know what? We were going to go to on a cruise, but we'll cancel it now and we'll have you over and we'll spend Christmas here because you're you're getting married. You're getting exactly, married. Exactly, but it's not the same Christmas. Just no, we didn't. You weren't here. So we. So there's not going to be a big party. There's not going to be all this other stuff. Yeah. No. What is this about? Can't tell her that. Why? I don't know why. And he even calls it out. Tim Allen, the one line in this movie I like, he's like, 
<laughs> this trip has been planned longer than they've been engaged. <laughs> longer than they've one, been dating. He at one point says, I've been planning this trip for six weeks. And I went back and did the math and I was like, no. Because you started planning it on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. That's right. The absolute longest possible period of time or the shortest period, longest between the earliest possible Sunday before after Thanksgiving and Christmas Day is like 30 days. That's, That's um, fucking right. right? Oh, my like God. He just like, I don't know if this is He's such a bullshitter. He's even lying to himself about like, it. Yeah, come on. Give me a break, dude. And also, you were planning it. You just bought tickets. It's not like, wasn't that big of a deal? Yeah. But anyway, yes, now they're anyway. panicking because they're now like, the third we, act we need to put on this ruse and pretend that we were doing our huge $6,100 celebration the entire time. And we just have to eat the cruise. You know, we just got to eat the money. Then. So Luther is forced to now haggle with the Boy Scouts, who, of course, treat him like garbage and just shake him down, shake him down for more money. Um, they force him to pay $75 for what is essentially a skinny little trunk of a tree with no yeah. needles on it. Even though it's funny, like you can see like behind him what lo- appears to be a gigantic Christmas tree lot. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I, I, lo- I love this scene because it reminded me of the time my dad, when I was like 17, my dad got drunk and <laughs> wanted to go get a Christmas tree like on December 23rd. <laughs> and all that was left was a tree like this. The guy, the guy said $5 <laughs> and my dad tried to talk him down. <laughs> <laughs> He tried to say, <laughs> use a line. He literally used a line. I guess the nuns at the orphanage are going to have to tell all the kids they don't have Christmas this year. <laughs> yeah, the nuns at the orphanage sent out this drunk man on December 23rd to go get a tree. It's full of the heartstrings. <laughs> but yeah, so he, he takes this horrible piece of shit home, immediately throws it away, and then he looks over and sees that one of his neighbors, the one black neighbor, there's there's like two black people in this entire yeah. movie. There's a black couple later, and then there's this black family. So there's like two black family slash couples in the entire film, and no other people of any other race except for one. Well, there's Enrique. Oh, Enrique who, is Peruvian. They call Enrique, and there's Cheech Marin. <laughs> That's true. And then there's a criminal. Who is but Italian or something? He's Italian or something. <laughs> but anyway, Luther sees that his neighbor is getting ready to leave to go see his family. He's he's leaving for Christmas. And like no one's giving this guy a hard fucking time. Like this guy's just bolting right before Christmas. What happened to you, fascist? Come on, be consistent. Uh, I just wrote really like, big. Uh, Bev Shield is dying, people. <laughs> Bev Shield like, has not long to live. You're all giving this shit about your frosties. Fuck your frosties. But yeah, this uh, guy is leaving. Um, for, <laughs> this is another thing where it's like, here's a pointless ruse. Luther just wants to borrow his tree. Yeah. Because he's what? leaving. Uh, and this guy's like, oh, but my wife wouldn't like it. And he's like, oh, well, we'll sneak it around the wife and give him the keys. Like, like, hey, if the wife really is that, like, what's the benefit in giving Luther keys to your house and permission to, like, take your tree, yeah. undress it of all ornaments, take it across the street, redress it, take it back. But anyway, the the neighbors leave. Uh, Luther gets, he actually tackles a child, which is Spike, who's the kid who was fucking with him with the uh, prank yeah. calls, and says, you got to come help me get the tree. Meanwhile, Nora is at the grocery store. This is our hickory honey ham scene. It's Blair's favorite, a hickory honey ham. Blair loves that glorified 
spam. Can- it's a fucking ham. canned ham, for yeah. God's sake. It does not look appetizing. Real culture deletes right here, folks. Yeah, she races another shopper for the ham, accidentally crashes, because, again, hijinks, then goes into line, sees Andy Daly buying a ham, and is like, hey, Andy Daly, I'm going to buy the fuck out of this fucking ham. Um, Andy Daly has to listen to his wife who gets no lines. His wife, yeah. <laughs> it's funny how some people, it's like, you're not Enrique bad. had no lines till the very end. It's like Enrique got his part expanded on rewrites. And I was like, I don't know, sad card, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see, Enrique. Um, but then she's in the parking lot with the ham, drops the ham because of hijinks. It rolls into the street and literally a fucking semi truck. Yeah. A big rig barreling down the street, <laughs> uh, half on the sidewalk runs over the ham. That uh, he that man would have been arrested. Back at home, though, the only two cops in the state of Illinois are called in because the neighbors have seen Luther taking the tree from his neighbor's house and they get called in. And put him in the back of the squad car and are ready to arrest him. And they're Until, really, they're quite obviously still bitter about the calendar. Yes. The fact that he did not buy a $10 calendar. Until yeah, so. their boss, who uh, obviously Spike is commander of the police force around there. Because all he says is, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. If he's saying that the neighbor said it was okay, it's okay. Here's his key. And they're like, well, gotta let him go. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Good enough. <laughs> this will never hold up. <laughs> there was one scene of suspense for that whole arrest scene. Yeah. But really, just a, a again, just a brutally dark va- uh, vision of a fascist America. Uh, they get a call from Blair. Blair's checking up. She's getting closer. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She flew from Miami to Atlanta. And then, so your fight goes Miami, Atlanta. <laughs> Like, you hit every hub. Chicago's a major hub. There's no flights from Miami to Chicago. Denver next. Then we're doing Fort Worth. (laughs) Back to Phoenix. (laughs) But yeah, they get a call from Blair, and Nora's on the phone, and Nora's like, oh, what? Of course I'm making caramel cream pie. At which point, a look of abject terror Mm -hmm. comes across her face. Like, oh my god, caramel, like... Is Blair like a tyrant? Does Blair beat them? Right. Like, <laughs> the the impression is that Blair with like what Blair seems like the sweetest person. She has no personality whatsoever. She None. is vanilla tapioca for fuck's sake. And yet they are terrified. Yes. Terrified at what would happen if they do not have the perfect Christmas waiting for Blair when she gets home. I gotta say, top three worst Blairs. <laughs> Blair from Facts of Life. Sure. Blair Witch. Sir. Blair Underwood. Yeah. And then sub three, uh, he's 3A, 3B is this Blair. So as Luther goes up on the roof because he's like, fuck it. The only thing that would explain anything Luther's doing is like alcoholism. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know There's I mean? lots like, of hiding. Every, so many people have offered to put them on this thing on the roof for him. So he's like, I'm going to get up here in the middle of the night during a goddamn snowstorm and I put on this second thing on myself. So he puts it up. Um, this leads to a hilarious bit where uh, Frosty is lynched, which again, I feel Tim Allen playing to the base. And he, and the, the other thing is if you know Tim Allen's history of uh, smuggling coke in Detroit, this is the second time he's taken the fall for snowmen. <laughs> <laughs> 
But despite the noose, the literal noose that is around the neck <laughs> of Frosty, he tips over, he slides off the roof, and he breaks, followed by Luther. Luther, in a just absolutely abysmal CGI shot, gets his leg caught on a cord just before he hits the ground. Boing! But even when the cops and the EMTs show up, they have to cut him down and he falls because this movie cannot risk any chance of not getting the most hijinks out of anything. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, at which point the cranks are finally confronted by their neighbors. Like, what the heck is going on? Why the sudden turnabout? And when the neighbors learn that it's all for Blair, a character we know nothing about, they march into action. It's for Blair, everyone. For Blair. What? For Blair? Blair? What? <laughs> Could that have been established, like, at all? Yeah. Let's all put our lives on hold. Hey, Bev, fuck your breast cancer. Like, we got to help these wealthy people throw a party and decorate their house. Like, not not let's go and, you know what? Fuck the cranks. Let's all go volunteer down at, like, the fucking homeless (laughs) shelter. Like, no. Help the cranks. Help the cranks. Not the plans I had with my family on Christmas Eve. <laughs> no. We're devoting it. those plans. Because of Blair. Vic Frohmeyer, who's Dan Aykroyd, even makes the cops go pick up Blair from the airport. Sends and the cops the do it. They're like, okay, well, thank God uh, Chicago doesn't have like a violence problem. <laughs> like, they even say robberies are up on Christmas Eve. And they're like, yeah, you're right. Let's go pick her up at the airport. Now- Let's get in Blair's headspace for a second. Oh, yeah. You're with your Peruvian boyfriend coming back from Peru. Cops greet you at the airport. Are you checking your bags to see if you've accidentally smuggled anything? (laughs) She has no reaction to it whatsoever. She is is... just, okay. Again, I feel like Blair would have been just fine with a side dinner. With four people. <laughs> this is not the first time that cops have been sent to pick Blair up anywhere because her privileged <laughs> ass needed a ride. But yeah, the cops go and pick her up, and then they're actually told by Spike over the uh, the walkie-talkies the that walkie-talkies. have no or no limits on their range. <laughs> he tells them, "You got to stall because we're we're still putting this amazing party for Blair together. Got to stall. Your tax dollars at works, folk. Oh, absolutely. While stalling, they actually come across a burglar. It was just." burgling um and after some very very unfunny slapstick hijinks of course they apprehend the robber should say chris columbus is of course the chris columbus who directed home alone home alone Alone 2 so a slapstick burglar during christmas is right in his yeah accursed wheelhouse nora crank is running around the house with mistletoe above her head trying to fucking put some mouth on anybody anything right she's just Hanging it above her crotch. <laughs> like, kids. I am like. I'm telling you, Norcrank is hot for some action this Christmas. <laughs> Dan, did you know Xmas decorations are can be difficult? There are several <laughs> examples in this, in this montage. What? What? Austin Pendleton. We forgot to mention Austin Pendleton meets did we? Nora. Yeah, we did. And this is very important. That he meets Nora Crank in the store, acts like he knows her. She's kind of like, oh, hey, come over to our Christmas party. He's like, all right. So he just shows up. No one knows who he actually is. But what does he have? He's got a hickory honey ham by gall. And it was the last one in the store or whatever. There's a a scene where she takes him upstairs to put makeup on him. And it's it's like, did they just like 
shoehorn more shit in there that didn't need to be in there just to have a wacky scene of Tim Allen with white on his face? Oh, exactly. Nora also reiterates for like the 20th time that they cannot mention the cruise to Blair. Like they cannot mention, like, and again, I'm like, well, why? I still don't know why. Wouldn't you be impressed if somebody not only canceled their vacation for you, but then like threw a crazy party with like the whole neighborhood for you, but they're like, don't tell her, don't tell her. Or, or she's even laying it on the line. Blair's laying it on the line. She's like, Enrique wants to see snow. He wants to see a white Christmas. He's never seen that. And it's like, she's- The she's, snow she's, was happening anyway. Yeah. Your whole neighborhood is fucking <laughs> decked that's, out. That's a thing. Take that's a walk a outside your door. The little kid frees the burglar who's in the car and lets him into the party. Why? I don't even know why the burglar- Because there's what? hijinks. Could have just not been in this thing, right? Yeah. Like, that is such a pointless fucking thing going on. But yeah, Spike lets him out. It's like, come into the party. You know, come out, hang out. Meanwhile, Austin Pendleton bonds with Enrique. They sing a Peruvian song that everyone knows. <laughs> Everybody's at this party, all the neighbors, and uh, Luther's secretary is just a stone cold cougar. There's a man <laughs> hugging up on her who's 20 years her junior. Uh, yeah, everyone's having a good time. Everyone's really digging it. Uh, However, Luther is still moping about, as Nora puts it, his precious little cruise. <laughs> I was. This is the one point I was on his side. I'm like, it's justified. He didn't want to do Christmas. Yeah, he got he got forced into doing. He bought it. the damn cruise. Yes, this is what he was looking for. <laughs> that was not an evil act on his part to want to go away on a cruise during the holiday. People do that all the fucking time. <laughs> for anybody wondering, the Bev Death Watch. On day four. She's still she's not looking good. Uh, yeah, Luther goes outside to mope, and across the street he sees the Shields. Uh, M. Emmett Walsh, we should say, um, sure. is the husband. Uh, and uh, the wife is cancer wife. I don't know. <laughs> um, but he sees them eating alone. I guess they weren't invited to this rollicking party that's going on. So Luther's like, I am a good Christian. I'm going to give them a thing that I don't want. So he gives them the hickory honey ham. And they're like, hey, that could kill us. It is <laughs> filled with sodium. We are both very old and she has cancer. And you just gave you basically gave us a giant block of salt and said, eat it right now. So Luther's like, oh God. So he goes out back into the street, stands alone in the street, has a little moment of standing alone and you know, the standing alone in the street moment, looking back and forth. Then he's like, okay, I'm going to go back to see M.M. Walsh. I audibly yelled out at this point, leave them alone. Like, <laughs> leave them alone. They clearly want to be alone. <laughs> like, you are the carolers right now. Yeah. So Luther comes back. He's like, all right, you didn't like the ham. Here's cruise tickets. The cruise, it leaves tomorrow. He stresses to them that uh, he did not buy insurance. So this gesture is uh, going to cost him zero dollars. <laughs> this cost him nothing. He could sure. rip up the tickets. This that would be the same thing. But first, he's like, "Let me insult you by rubbing your nose in your own misery." Listen, I know you guys are wretched pieces of shit. Bev, cancer, all up in you. You and Emmett Walsh, you're fucking old, and you guys are miserable, and you're sad, and you're alone. We didn't invite you to our awesome party, I guess. Isn't there like a throwaway line about a son that they keep waiting to come back? And he's they, yeah, come. they're like, he, he, Billy might come home, and then Emmett's like, Billy hasn't been home in years. It's oh my god, it's like uh, every treacle note from Home Alone got shoved <laughs> into keep this. Keep going, keep going. 
one point what I loved was she was like, I don't know if my doctor will allow it. Because again, remember, she's has cancer. She's yeah. Um what does that stop Luther from strong arming them into taking the tickets? That again, he's not gonna <laughs> use them and he can't get money back. He's this almost like, like what's the difference, Bev? Emptiest <laughs> fucking Yeah, really? Like, watch this woman die at sea. <laughs> that was my my one fear was dying at sea, and now it's happened. <laughs> They just have to jettison my body into the ocean. <laughs> I wanted to be buried in the family plot. It was literally all I wanted. <laughs> no, take the tickets. Didn't cost me a thing. He's 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 basically regifting. <laughs> you know, like this exactly was a gift for his wife. He's like, all right, here you go. Boom. They've still spent less than last Christmas. <laughs> Seriously, because most people just gave them shit. Gave them shit. At the end of It's a Wonderful Life, when people come in and give money to Jimmy Stewart, like it's not like here, rich person, right. here's a lot of money for you to be richer, or here's a lot of things for you. It's to save the savings and loan, the building and loan, which would basically save the town. Yeah. You're right. saving the town. This is not like here, buy a bobble. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> That the richest man in town, that was an ironic line. That was not a literal line. Craig might be the richest man in this fucking town. We don't <laughs> fucking know. But, like, we better give him some money. Holy shit. It's like everyone rushed over to uh, Lionel Barrymore's house to, like... But it's like it's like George Bailey didn't just decide one year he didn't want to deposit people's money anymore or didn't <laughs> want to cover right. loans anymore. And they all came in and saved him. They had to do Barry this. So yeah, uh, but Luther feels real good about himself. What a hero. Um, this is uh, where I wrote, this just keeps going. It just keeps going. There's a neighbor frozen to the frosty on top of the roof. That's right, yep. Who has a literal snotsicle, like, that he <laughs> breaks off. It's like so cartoonish. The thief is in the house just ransacking the place. Spike catches the thief, chases him out, and then the thief is apprehended. That... I what? still can't figure out why it's even. It in did the not need to be in this movie at all. Although Spike's, get, of course, Spike's dreams of true Christmas spirit are ruined forever. <laughs> I know, right? He's seen corruption on the police force at very intricate levels. Those yeah. cops just do anything they want. They can be bossed around by his dad. Spike's going to grow up to be antisocial. <laughs> we get a scene with Austin Pendleton. Uh, and we find out Austin Pendleton is the Umbrella Clause. He Yay. was the Umbrella Clause primarily in the film, and he drives off in a what? A VW bug, because he's not really seen it, although he's dressed up like Santa now. Uh, Nora and Luther reconcile on the front lawn. Luther says, skipping Christmas. What a stupid idea. She says, maybe next year. And then we get this absolutely ugly-ass crane shot filled with cgi bobbles yeah triumphant music for i can't figure out why nothing good happened and then a reindeer were flying around pulling santa umbrella santa's vw bug so he really is santa so the end um this movie's miserable it's bad it's it and what's so bad is that, like, it, it, it isn't like this is almost like the gaudy of Christmas comedies. It's <laughs> not like so egregiously bad. Like I said, it just feels numb. It just feels numb and pointless. Yeah. And it just dawdles. And 
it's really it, it's not so bad it's hard to call out specific things but there's just overall this really sad desperate unfunny air of we got to make this thing because like they they pulled the money truck up to my house and so yeah. you know i gotta go through with this it's too it's chicken shit it's too chicken shit absolutely it's like, it tries to be this like take the stand of like let's skip christmas and even get kind of militant about it and then in the end they they pussy out it's like in the last Five minutes, they tack on some bullshit about him giving these tickets away, which, like you say, is an empty gesture in itself. And that's supposed to be the the triumphant Christmas spirit message of the movie. Fuck and that. And a little bit of, uh, you know, sort of magic by having yeah. Umbrella Santa be actual Santa. Who didn't really do anything except for bring him a honey baked ham. Let's sing a Peruvian song. I think Julio nailed it. Julio did nail it. it. It's a really awful film. He he said in his dare, I didn't include that in the dare that I read, that they kept that standard as Christmas with the Cranks being the worst film until they finally saw Gili, at which point <laughs> Gili became the worst. Gili is so egregiously bad in almost every scene. It, it flaunts it. You know what I mean? It really sure. flaunts it. Just to remind everyone about our ratings, run-of-the-mill bad film dare, next level bad, double dare. Movie we actually like, Reverse Dare, Quirky, what do you give Christmas with the Cranks? This is a double dare because it, it commits a crime of being banal, of being just empty, and uh, the, any stand it starts to take, it wimps out by the end and uh, sells itself out. It's never, ever funny. Ne- neither side is funny. The takes are broad and big and forced, and they wring a, a bit of wackiness for the sake of wackiness out of every single thing, and it's exhausting. I was so bored, so fucking bored an hour through this movie. Double dare. An hour. <laughs> it did not take that long for this movie to crush my spirit, Christmas or otherwise. Double dare. Absolutely atrocious, numbing, depressing, sad film bleak commentary on the state of america on the state of capitalism on the state of illinois illinois on the state of tim allen's face (laughs) it's just it's bleak it's ugly hey middle-aged white men who are ridiculously successful despite being absolutely terrible at everything you do lighten the fuck up (laughs) fucking enjoy your fucking life and stop being such fucking dicks that's my Christmas message to you. Ho ho ho. Why are you why are you staring directly at me when you say that, Dan? As a middle-aged <laughs> white man who's terrible at everything he does. Happen to be right here. <laughs> in the room. That's nothing. No, no big deal. That's all we have for you on this very special Christmas episode of Dare Daniel, but we'll be back in two weeks to review another one of your movie dares. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com. Be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on the Schmeed. That would be Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on all of the podcast apps or just your favorite. Tell you what, top nine. Give us your top <laughs> nine. Rate us on those nine. That's all we've ever asked from you. You can read more of my movie reviews on the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. Corky. Yeah. You cranky old bastard. Yeah. Where yeah. can people find you? Lynching snowmen? <laughs> this is how unfunny this movie is. You can find me uh, <laughs> just in any jam-packed holiday sh- grocery shopping uh, sure. center. 
Looking for honey baked hams. Honey ham. Uh any canned meats at all, just potted meats. That's what I'll be doing. I'll be just be looking mm. for all potted meats. Just Christmas. <laughs> something with tin, meat, and some juice in it all together. That's what I like. <laughs> when I can open it and I can see the word of the label imprinted on my ham. Yeah. Mm. Just dig right in. No yeah. plates necessary. Eat it over the it. sink. Yeah. That's, that's. I, I drink the juice. <laughs> that's where I'll be. That's where I'll be eating potted meats. Sounds fun. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, well, for Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. I hope all of you have a very happy holiday. And I'm Corky Mendoza. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. Uh, and anything you celebrate. You're here.